sudden, just like that, immediately, I had so much fun in Daniel, I really felt like I wanted to spend some time with Old Testament characters and talk about some relevant lessons that we can learn from them. To be really honest with you, I had a hard time narrowing it down. I began to work my way through the Old Testament and think about some of the characters that impacted my life, like Daniel and some others. Daniel 1.8 was one of my life verses. I will not do anything that will defile myself. And, and I knew as I was going into ministry that, that there were choices that I had to make and things that I didn't want to do in that context. And so Daniel 1.8 just became one of my life verses. And as I began to look at some of these characters, I thought, there's some incredible stories Four, five thousand, two thousand, three thousand years old that are as applicable to us as when they were written. And so I began to work through that process and found that there's some amazing events and stories and circumstances that I think would impact all of us like Daniel did when we were in it. To be really honest with you, when I put Daniel together, I had no idea some of the events that were going to unfold the way they were. And I knew absolutely convinced that that's what God wanted me to share. And as you walk with us over these next few weeks in some of these characters, I think you'll find some things that you can connect with or relate to. This morning's character. Do you ever feel like there have been times in your life where God has asked you to take a step of faith that you knew would stretch you to the limit? Have you ever had those times in your life when you felt like God was asking you to take a step of faith that you knew if you did, it was going to stretch you to the limit. Or maybe times in your life when you knew God was doing some things or asking you to do some things, you didn't understand it, you didn't understand how his plan was going to unfold, you knew he was asking you to trust him. But you weren't sure where it was going or how it was going to end up. Or maybe you knew there was a step of faith that you needed to take, you kind of felt God was busy. There were some things that you were wrestling with that you didn't have answers to, and you were praying about some things, and it hadn't come true yet, and you thought, well, God, you're busy. I'll take matters into my own hands. I don't want to bother you with this. I know you got the world spinning and a lot of things going on, so I'll just take care of this one. I'll just do that. And it'd be without raising your hand, but have any of you ever done that, and it didn't turn out quite the way you thought it would? I had a lot of us that have done it our own way, and it didn't always turn out the way we thought it would. Or God was asking you to take a step of faith, amazing step of faith, and you took it, and God taught you more than you could have ever believed in your willingness to do that. If any of those relate to you at all, then you're going to connect with the first character. This character is so well known that three of the world's major religions identify their genealogy back to him. Do you know who it is? Abraham. What are the three religions? Christianity. This is one you can answer out loud. Every once in a while we do that on Sunday morning. If you're visiting with us, we're honored to have you. But every once in a while we give our people the freedom to answer out loud. Not like that was a lousy sermon. Don't ever do that again or... But just answer a question. What are the three major religions? Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All trace their roots back to Abraham. We're going to begin our journey in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn there. <coughs> Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to begin at verse 1. 
Are you going to see some of the words on the screen? I'm not going to read every section. Certainly not going to read if you listened to Phone Tree yesterday, four or five chapters. But a lot of the information so that you can get a feel for the story and where it's going. It may be one you're familiar with. Most of us are obviously familiar with the story of Abraham. But I think he has some incredible lessons that you and I can still learn today after all of these years. Genesis 12, beginning verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go to your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. The Jewish nation takes their heritage from that particular phrase. Our affinity with Israel. You've certainly heard that over the last number of months. The candidates talk about that, that are running for president. Our affinity to the nation of Israel has some ties to that particular section of Scripture. So Abram, whose name is Abram now, will later be changed to Abraham, did as the Lord told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his possessions they'd accumulated, and all the people that they had acquired. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, look around where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And the land that I will give you and your offspring I will give forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, now again, there's a number of sequence of events that take place through this process that we're obviously not going to deal with, although we'll deal with one next Sunday. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. This is now where you see Abram or Abraham asking the question, Lord, I get what you have just said. You're going to bless me. You're going to bless my offspring. I understand all that. But let me be really honest with you, God. I don't even have one child. How are you going to do this? I trust you. I followed you. I hear what you're saying. But I want to be really honest with you. I remain childless. So is the one that's going to inherit my estate, a member of my household, what's going to happen in that? And then you see that pause, and you wonder in your mind what's taking place. And then in verse 16, everything changes. It takes a turn and has an enormous effect even today. All of us know that every decision has consequences, right? Every single decision in life has some kind of consequence, good or bad, they all have some kind of consequences. I got to believe that a, a lot of us have made decisions that... It just had some minor consequences to it. You took a wrong turn. You, you, you did a vacation plan that didn't turn out as well. We've seen all the commercials. You thought it looked good online. It really looked good in this virtual experience. And then you went there and you thought, okay, this wasn't the best idea we've ever had. We went to a wedding a, a, a couple of years ago, and there was two ways that we could come back. And we kind of thought, which one are we going to take? And, and, and one of us of the two of us that were in the vehicle, my wife or I, and I won't tell you which one of us said it, but said, let's go this way. Only to find out that 15 or 20 miles into it, there was major construction, and we sat there for two and a half hours. I was not a happy guy. You know how well I wait. We got home at 3 in the morning when we should have got home at 10.30 at night. I was not a happy camper. I won't even tell you who made the decision. Not a big deal. 
Not a big deal, but it, it did have some consequences. And when we finally got off of the interstate, only to find ourselves in the midst of fog, and not one single hotel had availability. And I thought, this is not going to end well for our relationship, depending on who made that decision. <laughs> I began my ministry in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, First Alliance Church. Now, I'm a young guy out of college, 20-some years old, and I'm in a pretty conservative church in a church that had been around for a long period of time. And my first communion Sunday, any of you ever grow up in a church where on communion Sunday, everyone wore dark suits? Uh, A couple of you have. And so everyone, and I didn't know this, everyone showed up in dark suits except me, the new pastor on staff. I was in a light blue, pale blue suit with a white belt and white platform shoes. (laughs) Now, in and of itself, that's a bad decision. Just based on the outfit, that's a bad decision. So I'm standing up there. He calls for the communion stores, and my senior pastor's looking up going, oh, my Lord. I mean, we're all standing up there. Everybody is in black suits. You swore it was going to be a funeral. And then I show up. In this light blue pale suit with white belt that I mentioned white platform shoes. That was a bad decision. And my senior pastor let me know that. Now there are other decisions that have major consequences. Major consequences. Texting and driving. Drinking and driving. Marrying a non-believer. Relationship before marriage. There's a lot of decisions that people make. At the time, may not seem like a big deal, or it may seem like a, a moment in time, but have major consequences. And so I remind you again, every single decision has consequences, so choose and decide prayerfully and well. In this next chapter, Sarah, Abram's wife, is going to come to him and say, look, We're in our 80s, going on in our 90s. We don't have any children. So why don't you take Hagar, one of the gals that work for us and work with us, and have a child with her? Now, at any time in your marital life, if you're not able to have children and your wife comes to you and says, I can't bear any children, why don't you take one of the gals that work for us and have a child with her? you got to know that's not a good decision. You've got to know that's not a very smart decision. You've got to know there's consequences to that that really aren't going to go very, very well. The same with a guy who says, I'm only going to flirt a little bit. I'm only going to look at this for a while. I'm I'm only going to, I won't go that far. I won't. There are consequences to those decisions. And you have to know in your mind and in your heart, this is not going to work out or go well. I couldn't even begin to tell you, I can't based on confidentiality in some respects. But just let me ask you this question. Can you fathom in your mind the amount of experiences and people that have come to me in 37 years plus of ministry that have shared with me some stories? Now imagine in your mind a pastor who's been pastoring for 37 plus years in four different churches and the amount of stories that have come to him. I had a couple come into my office, not from this church, so I can say that right up front, and I'm serious about that one. I had a couple come into my office one time, sat down, and said to me, 
we're having some marital issues. And I don't understand why I got him another woman, and I don't quite understand why we're having problems. Now, I'm a young pastor sitting there, not in the church that I mentioned a while ago, saying, how do you not react? How does your teeth not fall out? How does your jaw not fall down? How do you not think that those decisions that you're making and these consequences with those decisions have significant impact on your life? The decision that Abram made and Sarah made have had impact and consequences for almost or over 4,000 years. When she had that relationship, when he had that relationship with Hagar, she bore a son named Ishmael, and Ishmael is in the line of the Arab nations. And so when she leaves, as you'll see the story unfold in chapter 16, and goes off on her own because after a while, Sarah gets uh, a little bit irritated about that decision, and you want to say to her, you're the one that suggested it. And so she sends her away, and Abram sends her away, and God finds them, and the Spirit of the Lord or an angel of the Lord comes and reminds her that he's going to be with her in that process. But he right there in that particular point says some amazing words, they're, um, they're found in Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord said to her, you're now pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. You'll have the name Ishmael. And the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Listen to that phrase. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he'll live in hostility toward all of his brothers. He's the head of the Arab nations. God said, this decision has huge consequences. I don't want to sound flippant by what I said in the story a moment ago, but I've seen people make some of the craziest decisions in life and then wonder how they got into this mess or wonder why things turned out the way they did. And so when I have the opportunity to talk about decisions and consequences in a sermon of any kind, I want to say think prayerfully, act prayerfully, act wisely, seek God's face. When you're about to make a decision, not about what shirt I wear, what tie I wear, what car I drive, but when you're about to make life decisions, seek the face of God. You will notice if you read this context, you will see a man of faith. A man who sought the face of God, a man who sought the face of God and the decisions he made and heard from the voice of God. Yet when this decision is made and this situation unfolds here in this context, not one time do you see Abram going off after listening to Sarah's advice and seeking the face of God. People usually don't pray about what they know is wrong. Decisions have consequences. And so when you know you're being led in a direction or you know there are things or the enemy is coming after you, full bore, knowing your weaknesses, knowing everything about you, knowing all your circumstances and all your situation and every kink in your armor. And you're put in a situation, you're around someone or you know something that could lead you down a path. You've got to make sure, number one, that you're sharing with people, number one, that you're, or number two, that you're seeking the face of God. And you recognize that decisions have consequences. So decide prayerfully and wisely. As strange as this is going to sound based on what I just said, I also want you to see and understand another side of that. 
Sometimes when we make those decisions and we pay that price, we think we're done. And if you don't feel the Spirit of God is telling you that, you will have Christians tell you that. Man, you screwed up. There's no way God's going to use you now. You're done. Abram continued to see God's face, became the father of the nation of Israel, and saw God do some of the most amazing things anyone could have ever done. And so I give you both sides of that story. Because decisions have consequences, and you need to really understand that. But I don't want you to ever believe that if you've made a mistake or made a decision that you paid an enormous price with or for, that you're done or useless or never will see the hand of God in your life again. Because the enemy will tell you that, and sometimes even well-meaning Christians will tell you that. And so I'm here to say to you this morning, don't let the enemy tell you that. Don't let people tell you that. Don't even let believers tell you that. What I love about God is that no matter what we've done, exactly what Dave said this morning, we couldn't do anything that make him love us more, which we try to do, and we can't do anything that would make him love us less, which many times we feel. And that thought, that phrase that I've carried with me for the last 40 years of my life with Jesus, 50-some years of my life with Jesus, but for the last 30, 40 years, has been the one thought that keeps reminding me that no matter what mistakes I've made or what bad decisions I've made or what choices I've made and helping people through that process, do not let anyone count you out from being used by God. Don't let the enemy do that to you and don't let people do that to you, even well-meaning Christians. Story continues. They have a child. The child's name (coughs) is Isaac which means laughter. Now, if you're Sarah's age and you're 90, I don't know how in the world you could laugh knowing you're pregnant. My wife had a sign on her refrigerator for years that said, I'd rather be 40 than pregnant. It's just one of those things when you look at it, his name is going to be Isaac, which means he laughs or we laugh or laughter. You're thinking, how on earth would you find that funny at 90-some years old? But that's what they called him. We have an Isaac in our family. My daughter, a number of years ago, when she found out she couldn't have children, adopted. And five years ago, adopted Jay. Jay has special needs, enormous special needs. It's been overwhelming these last five years. I don't think, as she said, she slept for the last five years. In that process of adoption and after it was all finalized, she got a call from Bethany saying the birth mother is pregnant and wants you to adopt her child as well. It happens to be a half-brother to Jay, and we'd love for you to consider it. The problem is she's due in a month and a half, which means they'll be about 11 months apart. His name immediately became Isaac. Laughter. Now, what's fascinating about that is that boy has lived up to his name. A couple of weeks ago, actually a few months ago, I called up Aaron. I said, honey, I'm going to ask you a question. Now you've got to pray about it. Seek the mind of God. Ask your husband. But I'm just going to ask you, is there any chance that sometime this summer we could have Ike to our house or with our house or for us for a week? She said, you got it right now. Put it on the calendar. He's yours. Whole summer if you want him. So a few weeks ago, fascinatingly enough, on timing, it was right at the beginning of our vacation. <clears throat> so we had him for six days. And I'm telling you, we laughed every single day. And I thought, boy, you live up to your name. I mean, it was nonstop laughter. 
He would imitate everything I did. The one picture that you saw up there of the two of us. Remember how when we were kids, we'd look up at the clouds and we'd look for animals in all of those clouds. I was doing that one day after a long day and there he was lying with me doing the exact same thing. Whatever I did, he did. Every single day was a day of laughter. When he finally left, it was a day of laughter in our house as well. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm 61 years old. How on earth... Does Sarah have a child at 90 and laugh? But that was his name. And then chapter 22, one of the most significant chapters and stories in their history, and in really one of the histories of the Old Testament. I want you to read it with me. Chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, probably 11, 12, 13 years old, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to go to the region of Moriah. I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abram got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two servants and his son Isaac. He cut enough wood for the burnt offering and set up for the place that God told him about on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance, said to his servants, you stay here while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and notice this phrase that many has already pointed out, then we will come back. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried the fire and the knife. The two of them went together. Isaac spoke to his father and said, Father, yes, my son, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The two of them went on together. When they reached the place where God told him about, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld even your son from me, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah-Jireh. And to this day on that mountain, the Lord provided. I've often wondered what it was like as Abraham went on that three-day journey. You know, it's one thing to have heard the mind of God and try to have to make a decision about that. But I find it fascinating in Scripture that he's got a three-day journey to get there. I find it amazing that he took God up on his word and responded immediately to begin with. And now three days to process it. Now, I know you're saying, well, it took three days to get there. And I get that. And I, I certainly believe that's true. But this process of working through and trying to understand what I've been asked to do, I'm still willing to do it. Sometimes our level of commitment to God is put to the test. And what I find fascinating in the story when I wrote this out the other day, sometimes our level of commitment to God is put to the test. And in this case, in front of one of the people in his life, that it would matter the most, his son. Sometimes our commitment to God is tested and others see that. Others recognize it and, and, and maybe no one else does. We know we've been asked by God to do a certain thing and 
the decision impacts me, and, and I know that, and, and I'm willing to trust God, even though I don't see why or I can't even understand why he'd ask me. But we do, and it's between God and I. Other times, a lot of people notice that. When pastors make decisions for the congregation, a lot of people are impacted by that, and I certainly understand it. But I find it fascinating sometimes that the ones that God most often wants us to show and display our faith to is to our family and specifically our children. And in this case, I've often wondered, after it was all said and done, what it was like for Isaac to recognize the obedience of his dad and knowing that was going to impact that man for the rest of his life. Next Sunday morning, we're going to move on to another character. And you will see, and I'd love to have you back, you will see that the decisions that we make as parents have enormous consequences on those who come behind us. And I want you to be here for that. Three things out of the story that there's just no way you can walk away from and not be able to process. If there has ever been a time in your life where you've made a major decision or made a decision that had really bad consequences to it, and we're about to take communion this morning, and you've never really sought God's grace, maybe his forgiveness, or maybe his grace in that process, and you've carried it with you and it's beat you up for years. I'd love for you to lay it down. Every time we celebrate communion, we have an opportunity to reflect on my relationship with God and what he's done for me and what he's offered me. I mean, of all things to talk about God's willingness to, or Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son when we share communion this morning, knowing that God paid the ultimate price for our forgiveness and his grace. And even when we didn't deserve it, Romans tells us even while we were still sinning, God sent his son to die on a cross for our sins and offer us forgiveness and grace. And so if you're sitting here this morning and in your past or in circumstances that have gone on for years, immediately something comes to your mind that you know you've never really sought God's forgiveness on or never received his grace. And it's haunted you forever. I would love for you as you hold that cup in your hand and hold that bread in your hand and recognize the sacrifice that God has made for you. I'd love for you today of all days on this particular Sunday, January, July the 26th, 2015, to let it go. I say, God, I recognize what you did for me and that you died for all my sins. And I've allowed this one to haunt me for years. And so today, as I hold these sacrificial elements in my hand, I just want to seek your forgiveness. Or maybe today, just receive your grace. And walk out of here free. Now, the second question I'd love for you to wrestle through, maybe if that's not you, is this question. If there were, was one thing one thing that you sense is holding you back from absolute full surrender to God, what would it be? Now, maybe you know Jesus as your Savior. You've already committed your life to him. But you know there's something that's holding you back from absolute full surrender to him. Could be your career. Could be your finances. Could be your children. 
Could be your talents. You know, sometimes our talents and our abilities can get in the way. As wonderfully blessed as we are by God, sometimes they can get in the way because it becomes about us and not about him. If there was one thing that, that, was, that you sensed was holding you back as a believer in Christ from full surrender to him, first question is, what would it be? And the response is, lay it down. Because I really believe when you do that, he has some unbelievable things for you, but that one thing has been holding you back. Now, maybe you're not a believer this morning. You've come to church. You've been around church people. You're seeking or you wouldn't be here. You, you kind of know what Christianity is all about, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. If I were to ask you today, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? You're really not sure. And that's the one thing you want to be sure about. I did a wedding and a funeral this weekend, and I find that I've done twice as many funerals that I've done weddings in my years of ministry, and it's obviously a reminder of how quickly and fragile life is. And that's the one thing you want to be sure about. And so if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you never really know when that took place. You, you don't know what would happen if you died tonight, and you want to know. I just simply offer you the greatest gift of all, and that is the love of God. To sacrifice his life so you could have life. So if that's the thing that's holding you back, receive him. Accept him as Savior. Confess your sins, invite him in, let him run your life. I guarantee you he'll do it better than you've been doing. I guarantee you it will be incredible. I mean, what a better day to celebrate communion than on a day we celebrate the story or look at the story or examine the story of Abraham sending his son and offering his son as a sacrifice knowing that God pulled it back and offered the lamb. And it was a point to that day when the lamb of God would be the sacrifice. And that lamb of God was Jesus Christ, his son. And what we hold in our hands this morning as we celebrate communion is grape juice and a piece of bread. As simple as they could ever be, but incredibly profound because they represent to us what Jesus did on the cross. They represent what God ultimately did and gave his only son as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could have life and have it forever. As Keith Priest, the very first Sunday he was here, have it abundantly. You and I have the opportunity this morning to celebrate that. If something in your life has been holding you back, let it go. Seek his grace. Receive that grace. Don't carry it with you anymore. And if you know there's one thing holding you back, from full surrender to Christ, and today would be a great day to lay that down as well. I'm going to ask the communion stores to come. Dave, I think, is going to play quietly, or someone will, as we share these elements. We're going to ask you to wait until everyone is served, and then we're going to ask you to share together so you give me the opportunity to come back. Father, we thank you for your unbelievable gift of love and grace. And as we celebrate that this morning with these elements, would you speak to us as clearly and as loudly as you ever have, and listen to us as we speak to you.